You're listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org. Now let's listen in. I've invited Dr. Don Lynch and his uh, wife, uh, lovely wife, Ruth Ann, to come and just to share with you. I asked him specifically to kind of share with you guys some of the stuff that they're doing here, part of the ministry that's happening, but not just to do that, but to preach as well. So he said he could kind of preach the announcements and preach that part of it, and I feel pretty certain that he can. So uh, (laughs) y'all welcome uh, uh, our brother, uh, Don, uh, to come up and share. Don and I have only known each other, what, maybe three months now? How long has this been going on? Not very long, Brad. Three or four months, and he's becoming a, um, a close, uh, what I would call a close friend um, and close brother. So um, I'm going to let him share, and you guys listen attentively and, and amen him regularly, and he'll go three or four hours if you do. So. <laughs> that can happen. Thank you. That's uh, certainly true, Bob. It's like we've known one another all our lives, and uh, we just have a great time together. Plus, we like the same kind of food, which is helpful. But, but no, we, uh, we just talking to the people at the restaurant, like, you guys going to leave ever? And no, we're just, uh, you know, a couple hours goes by. You know how it is when you're with, with people who have the same heart. And I feel the same way about Vineyard Church and, um, and Freedom House, that I believe we do have the same heart. And... Um, we're learning a lot about one another, probably uh, backwards the way we're doing it backwards, you know. We, um, we're learning about one another in a roundabout way, uh, and rather than face forward so much. But when we did get together for the meal, it was, it was much um, appreciated. Our people had a fabulous time and, and had a great time getting to know many of you. And, um, of course, I had to, I'd ask Angie to do just what she did there. She came and led worship for us on Sunday mornings several times in July. Or was it June? In June. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's just precious. You know, she just got such a wonderful spirit about her. And in spite of TJ, she's really a wonderful person. <laughs> and, oh, I mean... Um, Oh, because of, oh, yes. Yeah, I know, friend. They're wonderful people. And so it's wonderful to be here with you, and um, we, uh, we've already intruded upon you and built you know, this crazy-looking thing to get our camera in the right position, but uh, we, our ministry is international, and it does touch uh, many nations. And we have about 500 ministries that we father, spiritual, provide spiritual fathering for around the world. And so, you know, just what we do with the camera there that's in the way uh, touches many nations. We have, um, we have bases in uh, what we call kingdom centers in, um, in Germany and, and in, in the, for Europe, although my long-term assignment is in Rome, Italy. Uh, to establish a kingdom center there, because God has asked us to put a kingdom center on every continent except Antarctica. We have no uh, assignment to preach to penguins so far. If you do receive a call to preach to penguins, let let Pastor Bob know about that, because I know that he'd be thrilled to train you. (laughs) 
because I'm not providing any training for the, preaching to penguins. But um, but the other continents, we are we're on our way. When I was 50 years old, God gave me assignment. It's a 40-year assignment. I uh, will have until on the age 90 to fulfill. And I'm now in the decade of expansion. I'm 66, just turned 66. Not that it's all about me, but the aspect of our blueprint uh, is in its decade of expansion. And so we we were at a really difficult moment in our history. And I was, um, having traveled for about 20 years, uh, this virus from hell by way of China, um, really changed my, you know, my, changed my life. Wow. You know, I was gone most of the time when God asked us to begin this ministry um, here in, in this region. Uh, we're not a church as much as we are a kingdom center, a training center. We, um, well, we started on Saturday nights, for one thing. Uh, then we went to Fridays, and then we're such a worshiping group of people that I finally realized if I was ever going to get to preach, I'd have to start you know, a service just for that. So actually our Sunday morning was initially, you know, come and and listen to Dr. Don preach because they didn't give me an opportunity to preach. We'd, you know, we'd worship for three hours, four hours at a time. And, um, <clears throat> and so training has been an aspect of what we have done in producing leaders. That's our, our sense of thing, turning ordinary Christians into ministering leaders and then being able to prepare them to function at an international level uh, to do what you're doing, to go into other nations and, um, and then find out what you, who you really are because <laughs> it's amazing what happens when you put people on an airplane and they land in a different land and uh, you discover things about, uh, they discover things about your, themselves and when you do, we discover things about them that we, we hoped that our discernment would have picked up before they got there. <laughs> So, um, you know, there's only one, there's usually one in every group, but you, yeah, you're the one now, huh? So, yeah. So we've been uh, in many nations uh, for that reason. Ruthann and I were raised in an uh, evangelical denomination that preaches against everything that we are now. And uh, we were raised that, you know, if you spoke in tongues or exercised spiritual gifts as we do, that you had a demon, in fact. And um, my leader had preached that when the Antichrist comes, uh, he'll have the false prophet, and the false prophet will be a, a Pentecostal. <laughs> so that's how we were raised, and we found ourselves on the front row at Brownsville. And um, Rutana dropped me off the night before we ate a, gre- ate a greasy omelet at Waffle House, and she dropped me off at 4 a.m., and so I... I got up there on the front. At that that particular time, I was able to get right up on the front on the yellow line to be first in line. So I stayed there all day from 4 a.m. until quarter to 7 when they came out with the foghorn. You know, not the foghorn. What do you call that? The yeah, the bullhorn. Foghorn. <laughs> going to be a long evening. Uh, with the, the bullhorn and said, now don't run. And so as soon as he said the doors are open, we all ran. <laughs> but we were on the, uh, the first row right in front of John Kilpatrick. And uh, he spilled orange Gatorade all over us um, while he was dancing and, and worshiping. It was powerful for us. We, um, just, I can't tell all the story 
of how that occurred. But uh, anyway, we ended up when all the big boys uh, came off the platform to pray for people. Uh, we were standing there because um, we'd never seen anything like that. We never heard any kind of music like that. Bill Gaither didn't even write it. <laughs> so, you know, we hadn't sung it. And um, so all the big boys were out there, you know, fire. And uh, so we're just standing there moving our eyes. The people next to us are on the floor, and the people on the other side were on the floor. And one of the first people was a little girl about eight years old, was on the floor and out in the Holy Ghost. I mean, she was so gone in the anointing and the glory, with our eyes closed, still dancing and um, experiencing a vision of angels. And I was watching her and and didn't barely, I barely noticed the people flopping like fish on either side of me. So it was uh, an amazing time. And they prayed for everybody, but they never prayed for us. <laughs> and so this lady, uh, this girl came along and um, John Michael, John Michael's wife, she's part of one of the, part of one of the videos when, you know, there was this, she would shake sometimes when she was in intercession or all the time. And uh, she couldn't, she came and stood in front of us and she had a, you know, a little badge, said anointer. I was trying to remember where I read about that in my pastoral theology course. And... Um, she didn't speak in tongues. She was speaking in tongues. And they were holding her up, but she didn't say anything. She just touched me like you know, like a Boy Scout salute, you know, with these three fingers, and um, touched me on the forehead, and boom, I was on the floor. And God sat on me, and I I couldn't move. I couldn't open my eyes or move any, even my fingers. But inside, God said to me. Um, and, and my mother would have been, because my mother wouldn't let us say shut up. Having raised three sons, I found that it's really uh, a very, very good, it's a good thing. When you have three sons, you need to say shut up. Um, but my mother wouldn't say that. But God did. He said, you know, you, um, you're so proud and arrogant, I can't use you. He said, so lie still and shut up. I'm going to do surgery on you. So when I was able to get up about four hours later, and crawl back to where I could get on the sidewalk. Um, I was really a changed person. So everything that I preached against for all those years, I was, I is, you know. I, although I didn't know what it, what it was, because I never thought that God would ever send us to nations. We've been to more than thirty now, and given us an international assignment. When I came back, I uh, saw a person who. Um, I didn't know who it was. John Kilpatrick came and prayed for someone, and when God, he prayed for that person, um, God said, now that person, that person will have a lot of involvement in your future. And so I didn't know who that person was, and then later I found out. And so I ended up uh, sitting in the, in the seat of a, a, of a ministry here in town, and we'd been living in Lee. And double wide, and, um, and during the offering teaching, he made a smart remark about, you know, if you're really poor and you live in a double wide, you leave. <laughs> and we laughed, and and so the thing they hand out, the bulletin they handed out had it had a phrase or a a blurb in it. So we called it a blurb. No, what would you say it was a whatever what you had to have a blurb and a snippet. 
they were looking for people to clean the toilets. And so my wife elbowed me and said, you need to, you need to go in and apply for that job. Um, you know, I had one doctorate, and I've been in ministry since I was 15. I started preaching, went to Bible school when I was 15, graduated from high school, went to Bible school, and was preaching, traveling and around preaching from the time I was 15. So I've been in ministry now more than 50 years. And um, she said, you need to go, um, you need to fill out an application for that job. So I did. I went in, um, sat in the, you know, the, the reception area, and the girl came out. And I filled out the application, and she said, I'll be right back. So she left and was gone about 10 minutes. And uh, when she came back, she sat down, and she, and she said, and her name was Destiny. It's a true story. She said, now, we do not believe you have the anointing to clean toilets. <laughs> you know, when I filled out the application, I didn't put anything about my ministerial experience at all. She said, you don't, like, wow, this is great. I just came back from Brownsville. I mean, how anointed do I have to be? But we have a job. Uh, we do have a job, and Quinny Tolens pays six dollars an hour. Uh, but um, for eight dollars an hour, you can pull weeds. We need somebody to pull weeds and clean out the and clean out the um, the flower beds, the shrubbery. I said, I'll take it. So I started working uh, there, thinking, as any good anointed person would. In six weeks, man, uh, God will raise me up and I will become a mighty John the Baptist. Uh, and I'll be recognized immediately, you know. So, but what happened was I, was I was there for 11 months. And I started working in the shrubbery, pulling, um, pulling weeds. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, we're originally from Indiana, so I wore long pants the first day. That was the last time I did that. Like, man, I need some shorts, get some air up in there. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. You know, you're out there in the summer. It's in, uh, in July with no air conditioning, you know, in your car or where I was working. And so I, I started pulling weeds. I'm sorry if that offended anybody, but I am I'm an equal opportunity offender. So if you're not offended yet, hang on, I'm coming for you. And I began to pull weeds, and about the third day of pulling weeds, uh, God came and said, you know, Lynch, God's usually nice to me, but when he calls me by last name, he's getting my attention, you know, like your mama did when she said your whole name. So he said, Lynch, you're the worst, you're, you're the worst weed puller I've ever seen. You're, you don't have any idea what you're doing. You're making such a mess. And so God began to speak to me about, if you don't get it by the root, we'll just come back. And so I began to change my uh, strategy uh, for dealing with weeds. And I began to dig down, you know, the tornado grass. You have to go down about this far, this white runner. Um, and tornado grass is really difficult to, to get rid of because of that. And then I, I, I learned that when I did that, that I'd find the tornado grass and some of the, some of the weeds, that the, the weeds root system was actually growing into the shrubbery root system. And I learned how to pull roots, the, the root ball of the shrubbery up and remove the weeds and then set up. Well, anyway, after, after learning how to do that properly, I, um, I, I just declared war on weeds. And um, I was on assignment, actually, what I was doing was to pray for this ministry. 
and um, it was circular in design. And so I'd go, by the time I went all the way around and finished up, I was, you know, the weeds were back, and so it was time to start again. And so I, I was there, and people would stop and give me prophetic words, and people would, you know, people, I got to know people there in the ministry, and, and some of them did recognize some anointing, and I, but my main calling there was intercession. And I've always wanted to just remain there. I asked God if I could just remain an intercessor. And he said, no, he had other things for me to do. But I'd be content if I were an intercessor, most powerful people on the earth. I was uh, sitting in, the stu- uh, in my studio here. I, I call it my studio now because I appreciated it being included in the design because it's something I needed. I was sitting in there uh, working. I was actually... Uh, speaking in the camera, and which I do a lot, to uh, it's a part of this ministry and my role in it. And uh, I began to hear people praying in tongues. I heard these women praying in tongues really loud. I don't know if there were any men, but the, if the men were here, if there was any men, they were not praying very loud, but the women were. <laughs> I thought, wow, what a wonderful sound. And I thought, what is that? <laughs> and Lori, uh, Lori and, and the intercessors were in here praying and I could hear them and so of course they it's now on it's now on the videotape you know because they were messed up my video no I thought wow what a wonderful sound to have in the background while you're preaching amen and uh, and I sat there and I thought wow I love that sound and I love how the way you guys pray or you girls pray or you know, I've trained thousands of, of intercessors, and most of them are women, but intercession is not women's work, guys. Okay, so Jim comes too, good. So you, you, you have to realize and recognize, however, that men don't pray like women, and nor should they. They don't dance like women, and they don't worship like women. They need, they need to pray like men, but they need to pray. And I've never, I've never seen an authentic intercessor get upset with men prayed. In fact, nearly all of them were longing for men to find their intercessory voice and to to join in. And I, and I think a lot that men uh, should pray, but I know that hell fights uh, men praying. And Peter talks about how that occurs because if a man doesn't properly value his wife, Peter says, then when he prays, his prayers hit the ceiling, come back, slap him in the face. That's in the Bible. So what really happens is until men find themselves in the proper role and response as husbands and fathers, they have a more difficult time praying and entering into their high priestly and uh, intercessory role uh, that every believer has. Can you say amen? Um, and so I encourage men to pray. But I, uh, I wanted to be an intercessor and was content being an intercessor. And I, um, I snuck into the women's conference. I uh, I had learned how to not only pull weeds, which could get a guy pretty muddy and dirty, uh, by the time you dig down a foot, two feet. Um, but I had heard that Marilyn Hickey was there, and I'd heard of Marilyn Hickey. You know, of course, I don't know anything. I didn't have any history with Pentecostals or Charismatics, and so all the people you know, you know, if you grew up, I didn't know any of them. But somebody said, you know, Marilyn Hickey's here. Like, gasp! This amazing woman. I didn't know who she was. So I slipped in under the balcony so I could hear Marilyn Hickey. 
And um, I was sitting in the back. My shirt was filthy. A striped uh, polo shirt on and shorts, of course. Now that I'd learned my lesson. And, and I remember looking down at my knees thinking, well, I hope nobody can see me back here in the dark because I am dirty and I probably shouldn't be in here, but it's on my break. Uh, so I came in and, and they handed her the microphone and she stood up and began to speak. And she hadn't spoken 15 seconds and she said, pointed back at me and she said, the Lord gave me a word for you. And I was like, I wonder what that means because I'd never had a prophetic word before. Does everybody understand you've had a prophetic word, right? And uh, she said, the Lord gave me the scripture for you, uh, sir. And, and I was like, looked around like, oh yeah, who's she talking to? Uh, she said, no, you in the striped shirt. You know, I looked down at my striped shirt and I was like, and she's like, yeah, you stand up. I was like, oh man, I'm so dead. I'm in the women's ministry. Not even supposed to be in here. You're supposed to pay a fee probably to get in there, you know. And I'm, I slipped in the back on my break. And she said, the Lord gave me this scripture for you in Psalm 2. Ask me for the nations as your inheritance. So it really began to set my life in a different course uh, then. And I, um, I began to develop what we call freedom ministry. Because while I was pulling weeds and God said you have to get it by the root, God was teaching me about how deep the issues go, that if you don't deal with root issues, you, if you just deal with the fruit of them but not the root of them, that you won't see uh, truly transformed individuals discipled into kingdom leaders. You see, hell is happy for our strengths to get stronger as long as our weaknesses get weaker. Because eventually our weaknesses will discredit our strengths. How many times have you seen this happen? We ought to lead with our strengths and especially with our spiritual capacities of anointing and gifting. But if we don't, aren't intentional about dealing with the issues, the deep root issues of our lives, then they will eventually discredit our strengths. And uh, God said to me, you know, for what I'm asking you to do, you're going to have to prepare people at the root. They're gonna, we're going to have to deal, we're going to have to, as John the Baptist preached, you're going to have to lay the axe at the root of the tree. And do so as you have learned to do very practically with your hands. You're going to have to expose the root. And you're going to have to understand what, how to deal with the root system of people and pulling out things that are foreign to it without destroying them, the, the root system of individual people. And so God taught me some very important principles, which then became Freedom Ministry International. And I went to Colorado Springs at that time in my life and began to study my second doctorate with C. Peter Wagner, where I was able to make myself accountable to some of the great people who had developed inner healing deliverance the famous names, um, I suddenly was, I found myself interacting with people who had developed this understanding of transformative, inner healing, deliverance, all those things wrapped up together in a discipling mode. So I don't have, you know, Freedom Ministry is not a deliverance ministry, although there, there is deliverance. It's not an inner healing ministry, but inner healing happens. It's not about demons because we kick them out. But it is a, a strategy of Holy Spirit to turn ordinary believers into ministering, um, ordinary Christians into ministering leaders. 
so that people understand how uh, to lead with their strengths, but also to know how to not only receive freedom, but maintain freedom, deepen freedom, and increase freedom. And so uh, I'm always happy when I preach it so I can get a tune-up. And I'm always happy when um, with my spiritual children preach it. You can't really teach it. And so uh, that developed into four levels, two levels of freedom, uh, individual freedom and two levels of leadership training. And now more than 300,000 people have received this ministry uh, in the nations since that time. That freedom ministry then became, of course, called for the need of a home base that we call Freedom House which at some point I hope is actually a house, like a spiritual bed and breakfast where broken men and women who have um, fallen in ministry or need restoration in ministry will be able to say to people, we're going on vacation to Florida and uh, for a week or a month if necessary and come and stay in this restorative place and receive ministry so we stop shooting our wounded leaders and provide restoration for them. But Freedom House itself is a home base. It's a kingdom center for ministry matrix, a matrix of ministries worldwide. I uh, then spent the last 18 years in mostly in Brazil, but we now we have a base in Sao Paulo and other bases uh, throughout Brazil. I've been traveling there more than 18 years and seeing God do miraculous things. Brazil's in awakening. And um, I shared Sunday some of the, of the vision that I had 2003 that sent me on that journey. But I've also seen God working in Europe, as I said, not only in, um, in Frankfurt, Germany, but in, in Manchester, England, and other places in Europe. And God is working in Europe in powerful ways. In Germany alone, there are 300 churches uh, that are led by Brazilians who are baptizing each church 50 to 75 new believers every month, many of whom are immigrants um, and Muslims. And there's a great move of God afoot in Germany. Uh, there's an underground movement in France. There's a strong revival that's beginning to rumble again in England. And I know that God is going to bring a real turnaround kind of move of God in Rome, Italy at some point. And uh, already uh, Brazilians are at work there in Rome, and I am joining with them. I do a lot of things together with Brazilians. In Africa, we, we now have a base in Tanzania, in Arusha, at the gate to the Serengeti. And Dr. Jonas uh, is experiencing rapid and increased influence there. You know, the leader we have in Brazil was chosen, along with the leader we have in Monterey, Mexico, to represent their nation's at the United Nations, in which the Latin nations took a very strong stand against gender issues, gender confusion, and abortion on demand. And it was Marcos Camargo, my, my partner there and our leader, the apostle of um, our ministry there, Dos Primero, who read the statement for the nation of Brazil. And uh, Ingrid from Monterey, Mexico, represented Mexico and the Latin nations voted to condemn abortion on demand and gender confusion. Isn't that amazing? So the influence of God has been strong. 
to touch um, the nation of Brazil, uh, particularly at the highest levels. And so when I, when I came there, I was prophesying. God said, I'm going to expose, ex expose corruption in the church. And he said, I'll, then I'll expose corruption in the government. And I could tell you some wild stories about corruption in the church. And then uh, there are now more than 780 of their officials and justices, their judges that are in prison. And we prophesied the impeachment and one president was impeached and one was put in prison. And then uh, rather miraculously, Bolsonaro, the Trump of the, of the tropics was elected. And what's significant about that is that their alliances as a nation were uh, Marxist or Muslim. They were either aligned with Marxist nations or with Muslim nations. And one of the first things that happened, as we had prophesied, Bolsonaro cut all the alliances with Muslim nations and joined Brazil in alliance with Israel. It was an historic moment and a powerful import. And there... The point is that there are ways that God moves that influence, the influence of the ecclesia is so strong in a nation that the seven revival move, uh, movements in Brazil have political influence, governmental influence, cultural influence, to the point where we are seeing God realign nations, and, and Brazil is a fathering nation, uh, right before our eyes. It's a powerful thing that's going on right now. We pray for him, for Bolsonaro, who's ill and probably going to have to have surgery again. But I was preaching um, uh, in one place in Brazil at the time when God gave me an open vision and I saw a man in a, in a yellow uh, football jersey uh, being stabbed in the stomach. I saw him go like that. And then um, I declared prophetically a watch for that when that happened. That actually happened to Bolsonaro when he was in a crowd. Somebody stuck a knife in him and he went like that and he had on the yellow football jersey and we knew then that God was going to miraculously put him in a position of influence and leadership and, and that happened when Dr. Jonas began preaching and he's a young man in his 30s at that time the Tanzanian president asked him to come and address the nation and he said we're going to do, we're going to have a three-day fast and everybody in our nation is going to fast and uh, this man is going to preach. And so his influence immediately began to expand as a fathering leader. And so he had a ministry of about 27, 28 people, he said at that time. And now growing rapidly, over 300. And his influence is that great among leaders. He has about 300 leaders from all over the nation who are looking to him for fathering leadership as a young man in his 30s. So we also... Um, understand the influence, I keep using this word because that's how important uh, the emphasis should be, because it's influence in the spirit that measures leadership. It's not size, but influence. And I've never been interested in a, a very large footprint here. I've been gone too much. And I would say, you know, people say, you know, if you're not here, this ministry is not going to grow. I say, well, it's not going to grow then because I'm not going to be here. And, um, and so, as I said, we're not a church. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. If you go to the hospital, I don't even go see you. You know, I send somebody to see you. Because I'm not going to be here. And, uh, and so our ministry is very different. It's, it's unlike other ministries. I, I wasn't knocking all that. I was just saying, that's not what we are. It's not your mama's church. And, 
And so many people try, you know, try to figure us out. They look at us and like, what, what is it you do and, how, and why do you do it? With, you can explain that we're more like an apostolic mission base. We're all about turning people into leaders. Everybody's in the kingdom as a leader in one sense because if you're in the kingdom, the kingdom provides leadership. It provides influence, spiritual influence. And so as a kingdom citizen, we can see and enter the kingdom when we're born of the spirit. We have influence because we represent Jesus, every one of us. But God, of course, wants the influence of his kingdom on the earth to be so great that through a remnant, he doesn't need everybody to be born again to change the course of a nation. What he needs is a remnant on fire and prepared to exhibit uh, and represent spiritual influence. And, of course, that's also what we want to see here in the United States, as we do in other nations. So I was not so much, you know, trying to paint a big picture of success as I was to encourage you that the ways in which God is working in other nations, he's doing so now in the United States. And uh, I have never seen in all my years since I started preaching, I've never seen such hope, never had such hope, and still maintain hope. And I can tell you, uh, God is not done with the United States of America. America shall be saved. And it's a powerful season for us to live in. And so we're alive with that vision. We're alive with that understanding. We're alive with the, the sense of things if you're a part of what we do. Uh, you know, if you we we don't recruit people to become members, we look for God to send people, and if God has joined them in alignment with us, then we expect them to take a share, to be shareholders, and then to become a part of a group of people who are intentionally pursuing uh, greater things from God. So I have about 20 preachers right now, I think. I've had as many as 30, and people who uh, can preach uh, my material. You know, to train people apostolically as a father, that's what Paul did. Uh, you first represented Paul, and you represented his gospel. You represented his message. And then, uh, as a father, I watch people develop their own message, and I say, well, when you have a message, you'll have a ministry. And so, um, Dr. Josh, uh, who, here he's developed his own message, and I think he's written seven books now, and God's using him uh, to minister to other ministries and then people like that are a part of our, our house. Victoria used to be on Channel 4. Is, uh, I was just meeting with her about our media because we're getting ready to um, start broadcasting into Europe and into Africa. And um, we can do that because we have access to this facility. We could not do the things we're doing right now had we not joined with you guys or you joined with us or however you want to characterize that. So, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was looking at the facility we were, we were using, and, and I'm not complaining. You know, if you're not at peace with what you have, it's, God doesn't like to hear your gripes so much. You know, and so I was, trying to, I was trying really hard to get at peace with where we were, but I was like, Lord, there's so much more we're supposed to do, and, you know, the church is not a building, uh, but you should, uh, but it is a tool. I uh, say, so, you know, facilities are tools, and we always want to get the best uh, tools that we can, we can afford. We want the best tools. And I was like, God, this, this, the tooling we have right now is inadequate. And I know you know that. And so it's coming up time to sign a lease, and, and I just, well, I just couldn't do it. 
And, uh, and God said, don't, and finally God said to me, he said, don't sign the lease. And I had like two days. He said, don't sign the lease. I have something else. And the next day I met Bob Hoover. That quickly, um, I came over and we saw this facility and, and God did a miracle. I mean, this is a miracle. I mean, the way in which it happened, you may not have been there with Bob, with me, with Laurie, and you may not have been there with our people the first, when I first told them about it, and the financial response that they had was immediate and a miracle within itself. And, you know, God's witness and confirmation was so strong, and I walked through this building, and, and I saw all that, that uh, the building itself uh, told me about Kathy and about uh, her vision, and um, her absence, I know, is big and still large. And uh, I thought then, you know, if as this works out, I want to maintain honor for her vision. I'm trying to incorporate her understanding of the building, her architecture, design, and all, as much as we possibly can into what we're doing, so that as we, you know, put up signage or whatever we do, that we don't come in and, um, and walk all over something. But on the other side, I didn't feel like I was coming into a, somebody's, you know, to a crypt. I wasn't coming into a monument either or a memorial. Yeah, is that okay if I say it that way? And I said to Pastor Bob the other day, I was like, um, she can see what's going on, and I think she's happy. I think she's thrilled with the idea that this facility can... And uh, these two ministries work together as in, in the kingdom way and literally touch nations. That things that are happening um, now, we're not on camera right now, but when we are, the people uh, in the nations are going to be tuning in and listening uh, to the message. So our kingdom center has seven basic facets to it, freedom ministry, um, roaring lions intercession, or we used to call prayer mountain on Wednesday nights. We have um, Eagle Company, which is a, a company of prophets. So when I train prophets, I want them to function in a company, not just individually. Uh, so that's a good way to weed out the, the frauds <laughs> or the, uh, you know, the people that you know, can't, can't be quiet. You know, if you can't be quiet, then you can't be a prophet. You need to learn more about silence than you do <laughs> about speaking. You know, the great thing about a, a true prophet is they know when to be quiet and they know when they have permission to speak. And so uh, we've learned a lot. I suppose there's been a massive acceleration in uh, the level of revelation and the authority of, of prophecy because they function together in a company, uh, which is led by Dr. Josh. And um, I believe every kingdom center should have healing rooms. I've always believed in healing rooms. We, uh, we had... The Latin American, all the Latin American healing rooms are centered here. The headquarters is here with, with Pastor Laura. And so our influence in all the Latin nations um, comes out of here, touches all of, of Brazil, Central America. And that within itself is, is very, very powerful, very important. You know, nations that were once Roman Catholic, you don't have a problem with people believing in demons being real and sickness and miracles. If they came out of Roman Catholicism, they, the spiritual realm, so people call it spiritual realm, spiritual reality is very real to them. They don't have a problem. They're not bound by scientism. And so when they come into, like Brazil, you know, the movements in Brazil are all Pentecostal. 
It's hardly anything that's not. And if it's not, it's dying or it's coming into Pentecostal. And all the seven revival movements are Pentecostal there, whether they be Baptist or Lutheran. All the names we use, they use them, and they all speak in tongues. And they, you know, and they see miracles, signs, and wonders. And they expect to see people born again and baptized every month, or they can't understand why not, because that's the movement you see in an awakening nation. And so the people um, that we see there, you know, for example, are, are people who understand how important intercession is and how important worship is, and how those things must be conducted with spiritual reality. And, and so just being in Brazil, I think, has probably marked our ministry a great deal in terms of passion, because uh, the Latinos are such passionate people. But uh, the healing rooms, of course, is welcomed very rapidly and extensively. Then we have Kingdom Leadership Institute. Um, when I was with C. Peter Wagner with Wagner Leadership Institute in Colorado Springs, uh, then I opened um, Wagner Leadership Institute, a regional hub here, and then we were the largest footprint of Wagner Leadership Institute for a while until Peter turned it over to, to Cheyenne out in Pasadena, California. And I felt like then that, and he made changes, which, you know, is just fine, but I felt like what I needed to do was go back to the original concept that C. Peter Wagner had and I did that, changed the name to Kingdom Leadership Institute, and we're now adding the curriculum. We have many, many hours of training and offer bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees in kingdom leadership throughout the world. So I'm spending a lot of my time developing that base, that curriculum. I've started a teaching through the Bible verse by verse. And, um, of course, in the future, it needs to be in Portuguese and Spanish and French and German, and right now everybody is watching and listening in English. And I needed to develop that curriculum, especially for African nations and who are coming into revival. And I need to, um, I need to develop Asia, because Asia is going to be the last thing on our list in Singapore. And so I'll be in my 70s um, and 80s, I'll be looking uh, to the east and uh, I know God will open doors. We have open doors there, but it'll be time for us to take advantage of them. We, uh, we also have a very strong influence in Australia and in New Zealand. And uh, COVID, COVID interrupted that, which, if, you know, if anything can make a guy mad, not being able to go to Australia would, right? Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> our influence there is really strong. So my point being... Uh, you know, I feel like what Paul said, you know, and I don't want to stand up and boast, but what I want to explain to you is that this facility has more than doubled our effectiveness. Our ministry has doubled in its influence since we came into this, this facility. And uh, it's going to happen again. In other words, it'll double again because we're just learning how to use it. And I'm able now to raise up more leaders than I've ever been able to raise up, activate people in leadership. So we have apostles and prophets. We believe those things are real. We have teachers. We have uh, some pastors, uh, actual shepherds, and we have maybe a half an evangelist. <laughs> That's our weakness, or it's not our strength. Um, you know, our strength has been apostolic and mostly prophetic. And so early on, people come, I always said people come in to visit Freedom House 
And, uh, you know, by the time they even got to the seat, they'd already had surgery three times and seven words from the prophets cut them up in shreds and put them back together again. You know, <laughs> I just had a house full of prophets and they couldn't help themselves. Uh, and, but we've always had dancers and we've always had passionate worship. Usually um, we haven't always had live worship because there was a certain sound we were trying to have and it was very difficult to get that sound. Um, because, you know, the sound we're looking for is spiritual. And so there's all kinds of music available, but the, the spiritual sound is something that comes in a very different way. And so that aspect of our ministry is continuing to mature and um, is of great importance. But we've always had dancers, and it's always been important for us to have the dance. And uh, we were unable to do so, and now we have opportunity for Kirk and the dance team for Corral and others who are prophetic in their dance to express themselves during worship and also to do interpretive prophetic dance was extremely powerful for our ministry. Aspects of a kingdom center that, that we think uh, should be an expression of kingdom culture or the way the kingdom of God should look now uh, that we have learned not only from Brazil but other nations as well. So there's an international flavor to what we do and it uh, makes sense to us. And uh, we don't, we're not looking to, you know, recruit people uh, in the accumulation of believers, as church growthism teaches, uh, but as a kingdom, not that I'm knocking that, I'm saying that as a kingdom center, what we look for is a fathering anointing. And so early what God was training me to do as well uh, during this period of time when I developed Freedom Ministry and, and the other ministries of the house was... It, speaking to me about the apostolic sense of the fathering spirit that, um, that should be present and should be restored. And that was what I began to preach in Brazil and preach here. So my first book, uh, published by Destiny Image, Spirit and Power of Elijah, was about the restoration. You see, God said, I'll send an Elijah, an Elijah leader. Now, we all know that the Elijah he sent wasn't actually Elijah. You know, there are people that erroneously believe John the Baptist was actually Elijah reincarnated. We know God doesn't reincarnate people. He said, I'm going to send an Elijah leader and he will turn the hearts of fathers to sons, sons to fathers, lest I strike the land with a curse or a limitation. And this is the end of the Old Testament, the end and last statement that God makes in Malachi and then in Luke, of course, Zacharias receives visitation from Gabriel, in which Gabriel says, Elizabeth, in the, you know, after all the factories are shut down, we're going to start them all up again, and she's going to get pregnant with John the Baptist. And uh, he said, and uh, your son, you'll call him John, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers to children, of uh, the sons and, and sons to fathers, uh, so there will be a people ready to receive Messiah when he arrives. And so I began to preach and develop this theme of prophetic leadership, that every kingdom leader leads prophetically, and that's why the prophetic aspect of our ministry became so strong. Prophetic leaders accurately anticipate what's coming next and prepare the Lord of people who are ready to respond when that new season arrives. So for 20 years, we've been engaged in preparing people for the future. And many of the things that are happening now 
You see, we have people ready to respond. We're not playing catch up with the present situation in any nation or place of our assignment because we have leaders who have been prepared ahead of time that were in stride when God's pace and when God began to move in significant ways in the United States and other nations, our leaders were in pace with God. They didn't have to play catch up or respond to God afterwards because of prophetic leadership. To accurately anticipate what's coming next in the kingdom and prepare people to be ready for that, you have to be able to accurately anticipate what God's doing in every individual. And so what I began to, to realize is I look people in the belly and recognize what they should be, who they should be, what they should be like in five years and ten years, and, and to understand how to prepare those people for them to be positioned for function. And this is what the word really means in Ephesians chapter 3 when he said that he gave us these five aspects of the ministry of Jesus and that they would, katartismo is the Greek word, they would, they would prepare and position. You've you got to have both of those ideas in order to, to get the understanding. You have katartismo can mean that the fisherman is, is, is uh, repairing his nets, which means that he's putting it back into its systematic form so that it will function properly, because it has a hole in it, in other words. But, there's, but it's also used in the sense of, of the physician who sets a, a broken bone and puts it into alignment so that it can properly mend. Its most important use is military, however, where you say, I'm going to have a moving, a marching army, and uh, the, the first uh, row is going to be guys holding long spears, Certainly don't want those guys behind you, right? And, and so I'm going to train them in that function. Then the next row is going to be people, you know, walking uh, with big shields. Who are going to, and then the next row is going to be archers. And the next row is going to be guys on horses. In other words, you're going to put the battle in array. You're going to organize an array. So if you're going to have a person positioned to hold a spear, the first thing you've got to know is, that's he's going to be his position in the future, so I'm going to prepare him to function with the skill set he needs with a spear. In other words, to prepare people for a position, you've got to know the position before you start preparing them. And you understand by looking at people through the eyes and perspective of the Father in heaven, that as a spiritual father, you begin to recognize the blueprint of God for their individual life and destiny and the battle plan of their life through which they learn enduring submission to become that person. You have to know what God wants them to be in the future in order to prepare them for that. That kind of specialized training is absolutely powerful. It is life-changing. It's transformative. And once people begin to experience, then, uh, experience that, a great passion arises in them for that kind of leadership. And uh, the more that influence of the influence of that kind of leadership spreads and expands, the more change and transformation you see coming to the kingdom. Accurately anticipating what's coming next and preparing the Lord of people. We are in the Roaring Twenties now, but we've been preparing for the Roaring Twenties as a ministry uh, now for, for 20 years. And I believe that the great harvest that we saw in the 70s and 80s and the revivals that we saw in Toronto and Brownsville and other places 
that all of these were preparatory with a vision toward these moments. Azusa Street leaders all prophesied there would be a greater move of God 100 years, about 100 years later. We're in that time. Wigglesworth prophesied it. All the great prof or great uh, revivalists of the past looked forward and saw us. And so what our burden is, of course, is to prepare the Lord of people who are ready to respond. Now, I'm 66. I mean, your 60s are your most productive decade. And so, uh, although I'm the oldest person here, then uh, your second most productive decade is your 70s. And your third most productive decade is your 50s. And so your 50s, 60s, and 70s are the most productive aspects of your life. I intend to write more books during this time. I'm going to produce more curriculum. I'm going to preach more messages. See, the best days of my life are ahead of me. You listening? But my great burden, my great joy, I don't get as much joy now out of preaching as I do listening to my sons and daughters preach. I, I get more joy of the books they're writing. I get more joy when they're teaching the course. I get more joy when they prophesy with authority to nations and cities and individuals. I have more joy in what those that I've prepared and positioned to function are doing than I do in doing it myself, and I rather enjoy it a lot. As you can see, I can machine gun mouth for a long period of time. I love preaching. It's who I am. 1955, when I was born, they used to slap the baby on that special place that God prepared for babies to be slapped. The idea was you hold them up by the ankles, slap them, and they'll, they'll uh, take their first breath. That was the, what they, at least that's what they told us all. And so when I was, I was born, um, by the report of my mother, I don't actually remember this moment. When I was born, the doctor held me up and slapped me on that special place. First of all, he looked me over because I was so ugly, he couldn't figure out where to slap me. But when he, went, he finally figured out where to slap me, he slapped me. And uh, I took my first breath, and I screamed so loudly. Uh, my mom said, the doctor said, oh, a preacher. True story. I've never known a time in my life when I was not aware of my destiny. And at some point it dawned upon me how empowering it is to know your purpose. And when God began to reveal to me how the apostolic and fathering anointing identifies purpose so that people can be prepared for purpose and uh, freedom ministry so that the, all their delusions can be removed... <laughs> Because the number one thing that keeps them from being prepared for purpose is that they want to negotiate with God about their purpose and be someone they're not and do something they're not called to do. And we still face that every day. So when I learned these lessons, I began to put together this strategy of Holy Spirit. And I have seen during these years great success that is now vastly multiplied by us sharing a facility together, and I pray will be vastly multiplied by our relationships growing. So I want to urge Vineyard Church to look forward, every person here, to have forward thinking. It's not my place to address the loss of Kathy, but I can tell you this, that she's not interested in anybody stopping 
as a means of honoring. You do not dishonor her if you move past grieving into the next phase of what this ministry vision is all about. God had purpose in Vineyard Church, and that purpose remains because that purpose is in the people. It's still in you. And brought people together in order to accomplish something for the kingdom as eternal. It'll live as long as God lives. And when I have seen you, I have seen people of purpose. I talked to TJ one Sunday morning. He came over. Uh, before our our service, and I began to talk to him. Immediately, I began to recognize his purpose in TJ, his purpose in Angie, his purpose in people. Uh, I, Lee thinks I don't remember her name, but but I do. But when I saw her tonight, you know, I I saw I saw a boiled egg, and then you know, I just love prophetic visions. She probably didn't want to be seen as Humpty Dumpty. But of course you didn't, because what I saw in a boiled egg was God giving me a hint of something. I said, Lord, what is there about Lee that's like a boiled egg? And she's like, he said, well, you understand that cooking an egg from soft, scrambled to hard, you know, everybody asks you when you go to a restaurant how you want your eggs cooked, right? Well, if you're on the grill, the amount of time that goes from one to the next to the next to the next to hard boil is, is actually... Not that big of change. It's not, in other words, it's incrementally, if you're not careful, you're, you know, that soft, what do they call it, over easy. If you don't, you know, if you're not careful on the grill, you're going to end up with over hard or you're going to end up with the order not being right because the timing of its preparation is extremely important. And God said, you know, Lee's like that. She's not an impulsive person, but she is a very ready person. She can get ready for something quickly. That she's like a minute man. She's like, I'm there. The rest of us, you know, it takes a little more time for us to get our hair done. It's always a problem in our house when I, you know, with the, if the blow dryer's not working, it really messes up my day. But there's something particular about that, you see. Lee could go one way or the other, of course. It's not impulsive. You could become an impulsive person, and that would be a weakness. But it's a strength in your life because you're quick to readiness. You're quick to readiness. You're a person that, you know, you don't, it doesn't take a week for you to make up your mind. You're not impulsive now because you're spirit-directed. But you're not the kind of person that, uh, that God, uh, you know, requires you to be, you know, seven confirmations and, um, you know, in full, you know, four fleeces have to be put out. You're the kind of person that God can say, let's do it, and you're ready to do it. You're quick to receive confirmation. And uh, those kind of people that you look for in ministry, you always look for people who are busy if you want something done. I always do. You know, so I need this done, I'm going to find a busy person. Because busy people are the kind of people that get things done. Other people can find a reason for it to take a month, uh, but if you give it to a busy person, it's done 10 minutes, and uh, leaves that kind of person. You know, TJ, I really believe evangelism is a deep calling in your life and that you'll never be happy until you have the opportunity for that burning fire to come out of your mouth. I believe you're really an evangelist. In other words, as I look at people, this is what comes out in me. 
And this is what I believe the kingdom of God looks like in the Roaring Twenties. I believe the kingdom of God is accelerating and that God is taking us back to original intentions and blueprints and battle plans that come through the kind of leaders that God makes, it, he makes them accountable to say, get out there and produce what I want in individuals and in regions, territories, and nations. Here's the blueprint of what I want, and here's the battle plan, that, because if you start building what God wants, as Nehemiah discovered, you are going to run into the enemy. Amen? What's the future look for, uh, for us here? I, I believe it looks like greater influence all the way around. And I want to learn from you, and I want us to be available to work together, to cross-pollinate, and to do so without any threat to our individual assignment. Um, you know, Bob and I talk, and, and his preaching's biblical, it's sound, it's healthy. Um, he's a true elder, not in the sense of age, but in the sense, as the Bible uses the term, expertise and experience. And he has something that he brings to the kingdom that's rather uh, important. And, um, and, of course, I want that influence available to every person who I love passionately as a spiritual son and daughter and inheritor in the kingdom, and I want his influence available to them. You know, I was hoping that he'd take on getting in front of the camera and teaching nations. I can put him in contact with, you know, with literally millions of people in Africa and other nations and who would love and need to hear uh, the voice of someone who has expertise and experience. I can't keep up with it. The, the need's vast. I usually am, am putting out fires. I'm doing emergency. I'm saving a life or a marriage. Or a, but this steady, consistent flow of wisdom that is uh, integral to the, the functionality of the body of Christ worldwide it requires us to honor people like Bob Hoover. Don't lose your honor. One thing that the man that I have learned over 50 years of my 50 years of ministry, and my dad was a preacher, my grandfather's a preacher, my great grandfather was a circuit riding preacher, is that you cannot live under the tyranny of false expectations. And one of the things I immediately did when, uh, after Brownsville was I reset my life to not keeping people happy. And I protected my wife from the tyranny of false expectations. Pastor's why I'm supposed to do that. It's like, well, she ain't. <laughs> Any questions? Forget it because I didn't even answer them. You know, so you, I have helped to restore more women broken by false expectations in the parsonage or in ministry than any other kind of person in the world. And I have seen more ministry leaders broken by false expectations and people demanding that they live up to what they expect them to be. Let me tell you, there is great freedom that can come when you say, Bob Hoover, do what God is telling you to do. Because we know your expertise and experience, and we honor that. So honor, you see, releases anointing. If you honor a prophet as a prophet, if you honor a father as a father, what do you get from a prophet is a prophet's reward. If you honor a father, you get a father's reward. What that literally means, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a prophet, and if you honor him, what I sent 
for you to get from him will be released to your life. But if you don't honor him, if you honor him as a teacher, you won't get what, you won't get what a prophet can bring you. If you, if you don't honor him at all, you, the word that I've sent to you will never touch your life. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I sent you prophets and you stoned them. Now your house, your oikos, your house, your lineage is left unto you desolate. Never wiped out. Not true with us. Listen, there is a lineage in this place which God has determined to preserve. There is a moment in history in which you and I can have kingdom influence on our nation and, hey, listen, other nations of the earth. We can do this together. I'm going to do it anyway, but I am thrilled that God is awakening many people in the same way. Now, you've also seen the children. I'm finishing now. Another hour. You've seen the children, Keys, a resource center that Pastor Melody Bolduke put together. She's, of course, a certified teacher, and, and this educational aspect of what we do helps homeschoolers, but also ministers to children with special needs, and um, has grown and is growing. And, uh, of course, it, it grew immediately we came in here. And, of course, you wanted to see, you know, what's that going to, to do? Well, it's going to be a lot of kids. And uh, now my grandchildren, because they're living, my grandchildren are living with Ruth Ann and I. So I'm changing dirty diapers, and we're learning some things. Because children are, are so important. And... Um, we walked on the, the intercession one night, I know, because they were having music training in here, and we've got people learning how to, to play tubas. I don't know why kids come up with these ideas, but guitars and, and um, violins, and, and of course, we want to keep, teach the kids vocalization. We want to, talk, we want to develop their voices, because we're raising worshipers. We're raising prophets. I have some 12-year-olds that Dutch Sheets is shared their vision with the, with the nations. We have 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds that are having those kinds of dreams. And we want to develop them as well. So there's an aspect of what we do, of course, that um, ministers to children. And uh, our commitment to you is that we're going to keep the building maintained. It's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. And um, when it, in, if it isn't, um, I'll... I'll be personally accountable. But I'll tell you that kids are going to be kids. They'll prophesy and then turn around and pull their brother's, you know, ear. You know, they'll uh, pray healing. We have the healing rooms. We have healing rooms. Uh, children on Saturday mornings here where the children are the ones doing the praying. And, and uh, they, they're better at getting word of knowledge than the adults. And uh, the, the kind of faith that develop when children gather around somebody and then having no idea what they're even talking about, out of word of knowledge, we're seeing a lot of healing because the children are participating. And um, you say, well, isn't that, in, you know, isn't that messy? I was like, yeah. In fact, any, any kind you feed passion, people get messy. Most, um, you know, churchism kills passion because it doesn't want the mess. I, I increase the mess because I feed passion, and that's part of the training. 
if you make a mess, I'll help you clean it up. I won't clean it up for you. But in cleaning up the mess, you'll learn a great lesson yourself. These are all aspects of training that we want to implement. And actually, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I walked in this building, I was like, I don't know who designed it, but they designed it for us. I mean, that's the way I felt, was what I meant by that. I didn't mean that they didn't design it for you too. But what I meant was, I walked in, I was like, if I were going to do this, if I were going to do a build-out, this is what I'd build. And when I saw the studio, I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, what's this? That's a studio, but they haven't used it. I was like, look out. Because now I'm going to wear it out. The only problem is it's about 62 degrees in there. And we haven't figured out how to uh, adjust the meat locker for me. So I'm in there, <laughs> you know, with ice on my beard, preaching to the nations. There's more to come and more things before us. I know I'm taking a lot longer, perhaps, than you're used to. But if you do come to the first day at any time and listen to me preach, uh, I will preach for two hours. Now, I have a couple of important presentations. In the morning, God has given me a very important instructions. So I just make this, you aware, in case you want to join with us. We've been 20 years praying about Leviathan here in Jacksonville, the king of the children of pride. And so we're going to uh, do something in spiritual warfare about the crown of pride. Isaiah 27, Leviathan, Isaiah 28, God talks about the crown of pride. And so uh, I have crown for everybody tomorrow, and we're going to fill this area right here tomorrow, and we're going to take off our crowns and cast them before the Lamb as a prophetic action. Uh, it's going to be a very powerful prophetic action for our region as well. But to end tonight, I have a very exciting presentation to make, because this is the 50th anniversary of my album. 50 years, I have hair, she says. Ask Ruth Ann about my hair. She didn't marry, she didn't marry me for my hair, hopefully, right? 50 years ago, this month of July, when I was 16, I'm 66, uh, Promises came out by Evangelist Don Lynch. There's a river. Thank God I am free, free. But you don't know what that. The 90 and 9, now that's a very old song. Um, that was uh, the very first song ever sung with uh, an organ. Back in the D.L. Moody days of 1890s, uh, they sang that. The Broken Vessel, The Lighthouse. Anybody remember that one? A Little Spot in Heaven, which was a song written by country artist. Yes, my mama's favorite song. Little Spot in Heaven. And Promises, which was the title of the album. You never promised my heart would not be broken. But he did say he'd mend it again. So I give that to you, Bob. These are worth $50,000. If you can find anybody who will give you $50,000 for it, that's how much it's worth. <laughs> it came out. I had eight-track tapes. Anybody remember those? You plug them in. You know, it came right up to I still have cassettes, and I have one eight-track left just as a memoriam of 50 years. Can you believe it? Yeah, you got to have them. Well, my son has one, and he was playing it the other day for, his, for my grandchildren. And so uh, his wife said, who's that singing? She said, well, that's Popo. 
And they're like, no way. <laughs> yeah, those were the days, my friend. Father, I bless Vineyard Church. I bless Pastor Bob Hoover with health, with strength, with financial prosperity, with peace, with deep sleep, with joy in this season. Lord, I bless Vineyard Church and its people, faithful people. Just as Ainsley shared, they've learned the lessons of faithfulness, and their faithfulness is strong. Lord, I pray for those who might now have a sense of dread about COVID. Bring peace to them. Break the power of COVID. And I speak with the authority of healing that I have experienced in my own body against COVID. I'm an overcomer, and I say, let an overcoming healing come upon the people of the Vineyard Church in Jesus' name. Lord, we're coming into August and an important decision of business here with the landlord. And I pray favor will rest upon this partnership. Cause us to step into the next five years together in such a way that the kingdom of God will be advanced and expanded, not only internationally, but Lord, give us even greater influence here in the city. Cause, Lord, that burden that we have carried that has been upon our shoulders to be expanded and there will be a great increase in David's army, which I forgot to mention, by the way. David's army is a monthly gathering of mighty men and women. That its influence might be strong for the original intended purposes of God for the northeast of Florida, this first coast. Lord, cause our voices to be great. Cause the voice of Bob Hoover to be amplified. And all that you've poured into him, Lord, now in this season, let there be that which amplifies the influence of his expertise and experience in a time when a father in the kingdom is needed more than ever before. Lord, bless Angie and cause her voice and strength to, be, to grow in the worship team here in this ministry, to deepen and mature. And Lori, for all that she has done faithfully here, reward her. You are not one who forgets, but one who remembers. Lord, there has never been a moment of her effort that was forgotten in heaven. Lord, you said there would be rewards in this life for those who have devoted themselves physically, naturally, and in every other way to what you are doing. Bless the intercessors in this house. Lord, cause there to be growth and maturity among those joining them as there is not only intercession, but those who are being trained, those who are being attracted, those who are being passionate in the burning of their intercession, standing between earth and heaven for the needs of people, for this house and for the nations of the earth. Where we need to hear the voice of the, the priests, those whose priestly worship and priestly intercession is a pregnancy, getting pregnant in the spirit and giving birth with our mouths. Lord, I pray for the children of this house, and I pray that among all of them there will be now an awakening. You are awakening children. You're awakening the youth. You're awakening the millennials. You're awakening the uh, generation to be joined together, fathers and sons, 
sons and fathers, so that there will not be a limitation on the inheritance, but rather an expansion and a harvest. Then, Lord, together we agree tonight and declare and decree, America shall be saved. Bring awakening and reformation to the United States in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? You've been listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org. 